Welcome to the Free Your Energy Podcast. 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 I wanted to create a space where I could chat with thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, authors, and health and wellness experts to discuss how we can free ourselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, and beyond. I care about mindset, movement, and positive relationships. And I created this podcast for people who also care about these topics and expansion. 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 What do we do when we have imposter syndrome? We're afraid yeah. to start. We're afraid to kind of move. So, so bro, so honestly, that video was created, I think, in 20, 2019, maybe, around that time. And the, the funny thing about that video is I didn't even know that I did not blink. Like it was a friend of mine who's a comedian. He jumped in the comments and was like, "Hey, did they clone you? Like, what's going on?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't even realize it. But I, yeah, I was definitely nervous. I mean, my my camera angles was all crazy, but I was just trying to put out the content. But I did know that if I didn't like when he said that, I was like, "Okay, I got to go the next day and record another one." So I got the blinking out the way, you know. I just showed that, like, and then I, I, because I knew that anxiety and fear could paralyze me. Like, mm-hmm. if I got stuck in my head, I don't know if you were the same. Like, creating content before going live, I may have 20, 30 pre-recorded videos, and I'm like, dude, just like go live. Live is great because you can't like stop it and keep going back. So now, fast forward three years later. After doing hundreds of videos, tons of podcasts, tons of speaking engagements, do I still get nervous? Yes, of course. But I'm not getting in my head to the point where it's lowering my confidence in myself or my ability to get out there and actually give people the content because it's not, it's really not about me. Like nobody really cared if I blinked or not. It's about the message. And I had to just reinforce that. It was cool. Like I made fun of, of it. Like it's 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 the thing. It happened. So that was my thought process from back then to now. And now, you know, like you said, my content is more much more of my personality. It's much more free. And it's just having just having fun with it too at the end of the day. Yeah, you had another funny one. Uh <laughs> with the uh, <laughs> it was like, what what did you title it? I think you said when I'm sitting in a couple's therapy session. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, you like had the popcorn (laughs) and, uh, you know, they just were getting into it. It was funny. There was like an audio overlay. So, I mean, maybe that's like a good transition for you to just tell us about the work that you do, why you do it, um, and kind of like your your day-to-day and your work. Yeah, so I am a, a licensed therapist and I'm also a confidence coach. And why I do it is because I always wanted to know why. Like, why do some people struggle with you know, making certain decisions. Why are some people able to have money and keep money and other people can't? Why do some people like you and I could go through the same experience, but now I don't want to go out the house anymore. And my life is just like stuck in 2022, uh, June 30th or whatever, where you just keep moving on. You go to school, you get married, you have kids. But me, because we experienced that same situation, it's like I can't shake it. So it really stemmed from me just looking at family, friends in my neighborhood. I'm from Detroit, even though I'm in North Carolina now. And just looking like, why are some of these people not able to accomplish what they want? So I've always really been big into personal development, even before 
I knew anything about mental health. Mm. Was there someone that you experienced specifically growing up that you felt that that kind of stuckness that we're that we're naming that you observed it in their story that may have may have inspired you or pushed you? Yeah. So on both sides of the family, right? So my father, he had alcohol and drug issues. And then my mother was just more like a, a giver, giving everybody everything that they wanted, but not necessarily practicing the self-love and self-care. So those two people who are like super close to me, I'm just looking at the decisions they're making. And like, I remember once talking to my dad about, I think he was like stopping smoking cigarettes. I don't think it was drinking, but it was smoking cigarettes. And then he smoked again. And I was like, but wait, you just said you stopped. Like, so how does this work if you say you're going to not do something, but then you do something anyway? It just really, you know, I was young, like, you know, before 10, 12. I, I just wonder, like, what goes through your mind where you say something and then you don't follow through on it? Mm. And so what is that? And so now I've noticed it. It's, it's more than just like saying something. It's one, we have to actually believe what we say. And then it's our environment plays a big role too. So as being a therapist and specifically practicing from like a, a cognitive behavior therapy standpoint, which basically like our, our feelings and our thoughts and how they're all intertwined, the one component that we forget about is our environment. Mm. So as much as somebody may want to do something, they may have the mindset, the belief system, they may have the motivation, but if all they hang around are the people who are doing what they don't want to do, it's going to be really tough for you to change your behavior because the more you spend time in that certain environment, then your thoughts kind of go back to where you were. Right. I have, I have this quote back in the day. I have nine books. And so at this point I can't even remember. I'm like my memory. I can't remember which book it's in, but I wrote, the environment that broke you does not have the power to fix you. Now, the what I believe is that it can if it changes. Like if, it's, mm -hmm. if it becomes a different environment, then yeah, it could fix you. It can heal you. It can show you a different way. But if the environment never changes and you're saying this space broke me, this home broke me, this whatever it is, relationship broke me, and it never changes, then based on the evidence we have, we know what it's going to do. It's right. going to keep, it's going to keep breaking you. It's going to yep. keep making you sick. It's going to keep making you suffer. So for the people who are in a situation where they know I need to change, I want to change, I'm ready to go. Like, so they have this mindset, but what if they can't for some reason leave the environment? What, what do we do? What do we do when we can't leave the environment today, even though we know I want to get out of here or I'm going to get out of here at some point. Like, what do we, what do we do? Yeah. And that's super real because not all of us can just like up and move or up and, you know, move and go to a new neighborhood or change our circle. So for those people, cause I think we've probably been those people, we have to then be conscious of what do we intake? Like, what are we looking at? What are we reading? What are we listening to? Because all of that's a part of our environment too. As, as much as it's important, like the people who are around us, like in proximity, the physical things, but what are you looking at on social media? What are you reading? You've written nine books. Read, you know, I would encourage people to read those books because now 
you just get locked in into that environment. So I'm a huge fan of Malcolm X. And if you've read his book or studied him, you know that reading really helped change him. So even though he was in prison, he was reading like, he said sometimes 18, 20 hours a day in that little cell. So that now becomes his environment. He's not really focused on getting, you know, people come out and get super swole. Or, I mean, he did, he become really religious, but his thing was just, let me get this information. So now I could be serving 10 years, you could be serving, but my environment consists of all these different books. And now I become a historian and I look at the politics and become a revolutionary as opposed to somebody else who uses the same quote unquote environment, but now they just, you know, get a super big chest and they can do 500 pull-ups and push-ups. Nothing wrong with that if that's your choice. But when you can't actually change the proximity of your environment and like what that looks like physically, I want you to change what your environment looks like mentally, Mm -hmm. which is the power. And I know you're a coach too. That's the power of having a coach. It's the session matters. Like whatever, if it's 90 minutes, two hours, one hour, that matters. But I guarantee you're, you're challenging your clients to do something outside of that call it's going to change their environment and what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. Well, cheers to you and any coach who could do a two-hour session. Uh, <laughs> your energy is great. I actually, I'll share this with you. I have a, <clears throat> I actually have a therapist that I'm working with here. And basically what I'm helping her with is helping her scale her business. Because right now she's in the business model of, you know, seeing a client back to back to back to back, the one-on-one thing. And so for her, it's not as scalable as she would like. Obviously, she's getting paid, but she's also being burnt out. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm trying to do right now, we just started working together about two months ago, is figuring out, okay, what do you offer and what do you teach? And then how do we scale that to where we can get into different group settings or where you can offer more for your own package, right? And I know you know this because you're a therapist and a coach, so I know that yeah. you know know yeah. this well. So I actually had a four hour meeting with her and she pitched it to me. Yeah. She pitched (laughs) it to me because she, uh, she wanted to meet once a week, every week for like the next 12 weeks. And I'm doing a yoga teacher training, um, in a few weeks. And so I knew I was going to be gone for three of the weeks. So I don't want to start somebody on something that I know I can't commit to. So I kind of told her the whole thing and just laid it out. And she was like, okay, cool. Let's just, let's just do a four hour meeting then. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's do it. Like, let's do it. And it, yeah. so it, was, it was great because we got so much momentum, you know, and that, you know, as a coach, it's like the more momentum you can get, the better. And I thought the introvert in me, I thought I'm like, oh, I'm going to be so drained after this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be tired, no contact for like two weeks. But I, yeah. I wasn't drained at all. Like her energy was so good and encouraging and inspiring. And then she was super intelligent. So it just, it didn't drain me at all. It didn't make me feel mm-hmm. bad at all. I was like, wow, this is for me, this is what I call the perfect client. You know, right. when I'm talking to people about from the coaching lens, it's like, you want the perfect client. So tell me about your coaching practice. Like who's the perfect client for you? And what are some of the things that you hope to achieve? You know, being a confidence coach, like that's mm-hmm. that's a powerful title right there. It is. And you know, I had to step into it and I'm still stepping into it and owning it. So, and I'll say this too, before I go into like my client, when you're doing something that you love and you enjoy and you operate from that space, it's like it energizes you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I look at my schedule, I'm like, oh my gosh. But then when I get 
to with my people, I'm like, oh yeah, this it's like I can I can go on and on and on and on. Uh, but my perfect client or uh, ideal client, I guess you would say, would be somebody who is motivated, who is who's coachable. Somebody I work with a lot of high achievers, so people who have done amazing things in their career, amazing things in their life, or just amazing individuals, but they're they're overthinking it. They're looking at other people and comparing themselves, and because of that, they're not actually taking action. My ideal client is somebody who's they've been through some things, and they're beating themselves up for what they've been through. So the past mistakes, they are not forgiving themselves. Mm. So they're comparing themselves to other people. They're not forgiving themselves. And lastly, they're operating outside of their own uniqueness. So you and I, we everybody has something that's so dope about them that nobody can take that away from them. But my ideal client, they know that, but, but they don't always want to show it. So they end up, what I say, doing the most, which is they end up trying to do something like somebody else. And it does. It just does not feel good at its core. So now you you get burned out quicker. Um, you just don't like your life as much. It's not because you're not making enough or you don't have the right family. It's because you're not operating in authenticity. So when you have the confidence to be who you are, you can do that. You can the, the anxiety goes away. So as a therapist, I've always specialized in trauma and anxiety. And something that I noticed over the years of helping people with traumatic situations, uh, you know, anxiety, grief, and loss, is that once they get onto that other side where they're thriving, their confidence is, is back. Like, they can they can show up to, to interviews and crush it. They can date people and approach people. And if it, if it doesn't work out, they're not thinking, oh, I did something wrong. It's just like, no, we weren't a good fit. So as a confidence coach, I help people identify what does confidence look like for them we get super clear on it. Then we get the, the steps to go action it. And then lastly, we work on consistency because I don't want you to be confident for just like while we're talking. My goal is that when we get off our call, when you're done with meeting with me months and years from now, you still embody that same level of confidence. Mm. I don't think I've ever met. First of all, I've never met a confidence coach. Okay. <laughs> but I've never met a therapist who was a confident coach. So yeah. it's, it's so funny that you say like, we all have something that's unique. It's like your existence, at least professionally, I don't know you too well personally, not yet. Hopefully right. we can build a relationship, but professionally you're a one of one. Yeah. There's not a lot of, I don't know another, I say black male therapist who was also a confidence coach. And again, I had to, you know, we talk about niching down and owning it. I had to step into that because when I first started coaching, I was specifically a life coach. And I was working with coaching on different things, different topics, different, you know, which was cool. You know, I was helping people get results. But once I said, you know what, like my coach working with uh, Keandra, Keandra Jackson, she's like, look, you know, you need to narrow that down, figure out your niche. I was like, well, I kind of know. I knew what it was. I knew what I helped people with. And then what I did was I looked through all the intake forms, like what were people saying they were coming to me for and what did I help them with? Mm. So it was a combination of what, what I thought, but then I looked at the data too. You had the data, yeah. Okay. They had the data, and it was confidence. I noticed that when I said, yeah, you know, she's kind of like my, my perfect client. 
when you responded, you named it the ideal client. Mm-hmm. You changed it from perfect to ideal. Why did you do yeah. that? Uh, so it was purposeful because I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you caught the good catch. Um, it's like, because I think that I have ideal client, and they don't. I won't say there's a perfect because people always have flaws. I got in my ideal client. I have some of my ideal clients who they're great, but they don't they don't follow through it at times on what we discuss. So like they're they're there, but it's like they need a little bit more accountability pushing. Or I have my my ideal clients where they almost want me to tell them exactly what to do, and I'm like, that's not how it works. Right, that's like not you, how this you, works. <laughs> like I, could, I wish I could just tell you everything you need to do and tell you everything, and that'd be it. But so my, I say ideal because I think our clients fall on the spectrum, and I, I don't want anybody to feel like they're less than perfect or less than uh, they don't have it all together if they want to work with me. Because sometimes people, like even during the session, sometimes people think they can't be themselves. So if they, if the session. If they start to get overly emotional or something, they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry about that." And especially the the the, the, the fellas, and I'm like, "No, no, no!" Like this, it's it happens. On as a therapist and a coach, like just be you. That's one of the things that is so unique about this space because you're creating space and you're holding space for people. Mm-hmm. And one of the invitations is for authenticity. And so you might get passionate when you're talking about something. You might scream, you might yell, you might cry. You might not be able to talk about something. We might have to just sit here until you're able to muster the courage, the strength. But that's how that transformation happens. You know, because oftentimes a lot of people may not feel like they have that in their relationships with the environment. They may not feel like if I cry in front of this person, it's going to be cool. It It might not be. You know, and so that's the power of having a therapist, a coach, someone to support you in those moments where they're just like, nah, it's good. Like, do you. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to yeah. do. Yeah, even now, like, I forget what it was. Something happened on, on in social media or like, in, not social media, but in the media. Somebody was crying. I forget who it was. And people were like, man, no, I get it. I think it was, was it Steph? It was probably Steph Curry. That's the most recent maybe, one I saw. I think yeah, Clay Thompson was, was talking Steph. about him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, he was just emotional. He'd been through so much. <laughs> right. Like two and a half years of struggling and getting back to that spot. So he just couldn't hold it in anymore. So you're a sports guy. Yeah. I'm big. I'm a big NBA guy. NBA. Yeah. Okay. So what's your, what's your, your player, your team? Talk to me about your, your I'm, sports. I'm more like a, you know, I'm a, I'm an Allen Iverson fan. So I'm okay. back in. <laughs> that's my guy uh, right now. But I am a Steph Curry fan because I love Steph because of his journey. Mm. Like a lot of people know Steph's when he started like, shooting threes and everything. But I remember Steph, like when one of my good friends, we were watching, uh, I guess it was a draft or something. He was like, hey, Jay, watch, watch him from Davidson. Like he's going to be cold. So I'm like, man, I don't, you know, scrawny guy. Yeah, he could shoot. But when he got to the league, he had so many injuries, mm-hmm. it was like, is this guy going to work out? So over time, he consistently he stayed with it. He got himself stronger. He developed an even better shot, just you know, just his work ethic. And he trains differently. And I think a lot of that is really his mental, 
his mindset that he's going to stick with it because people didn't know if Steph was going to be Steph. They, the one they thing that it. yeah, the one thing I like about his story too is people may not realize the pressure laced in to your dad being Dale Curry, who if you didn't follow basketball in the 90s, you didn't recognize like Dale Curry wasn't just some dude. Like this man was a three-point specialist, won a three-point contest, you know, been in all-star games. Like he was one of the, one of those dudes. So this was like a high-level performer. And then that's your dad. Right. You know, so like there's already a pressure there. And then right behind him is a brother who's also good at basketball. So then there's like this, this pressure, you know, and then to live up to that. And like you say, when he comes into the league, I think he had ankle injuries at first. I think yeah. it was ankle. And, you know, he was obviously he's taller than me, but he he was small. Like he was small, a small frame guy when he came in. And you look at him now. It was like, dude, what what are you eating up there? Yeah. You know, what, what's Aisha feeding you? She putting some protein in, in your yeah. in your meals, huh? Because he's swole now. He's, he's strong. And like, I love how you said that. Like, the physical representation of his body is actually a direct correlation with where his mind is. Yes, it's like you don't get stronger like that without your mind saying, "Okay, let me test my mind." Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious for you. Have you been through? any type of mental challenges where your your fortitude was stretched or tested that, that you want to share? Yeah, good question too. I think for me it was like that time when I was when I went back to get my undergrad because I graduated, I took a little time off, started working, and then I said, you know what, I need to switch it up. So I, I transferred to Eastern Michigan, switched up my environment. I was still working full time, going to school full time, but I just locked in. And for that next year and a half, maybe maybe two years, that's when my life really started to change as far as I started to maximize my potential. So I, you know, uh, McNair Scholar, National Honors College, uh, went on to University of Michigan, top school in the country for social work. And it wasn't about just the accolades, but it was me just really locking in where I was like, look, dude, if you want to, to to better your life, you're going to have to make some different decisions. Meaning the, the, the same people around you, the same things that you're doing, how you're behaving and your actions. It's not like I was like uh, just failing at life, but I wanted to take it up a notch. So I started to really look into mentors and, and coaches. And really my, my first... I say my first life coach was my grandmother because she kept, she did all the things that a coach should do, which is hold you accountable, not sugarcoat. So she said things to me, like not in a sugarcoat way, like not trying to make it all sweet and fluffy. She's like, what are you doing? Like, this is, you know, where are you at with school? Where are you at? Like just kept staying on me about things to the point where it's like, okay, let me take some action because this, she's not going away. <laughs> right like i mean right and then and I, once i started to get the evidence that oh if i do put forth this effort and if i do step out of my comfort zone and build relationship relationships with my professors this can actually be a good thing it can be a great thing so it was that time frame where i really had to laser lock in and it really just kind of catapulted my 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 career as a, as a student but then also once i became a a, a licensed therapist. 
Yeah, gra- grandma is not going to leave you alone. As long as grandma <laughs> is on this earth, she will be on you. She's yeah. going to ask you if you ate. Right. Do you, yep. do you need some food? And what the hell are you doing with your life? <laughs> exactly. Pretty much in that order too, right? In that order. Are you hungry? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So then uh, I feel like, you know, I needed that. I needed that more. Like I'm 37 now. I didn't realize when I was 22 or 21, 19, whatever, I didn't realize how much I needed that. I didn't need somebody sugarcoating and telling me, you know, I could just just coast because you can't. So 37-year-old you is in a room with 17-year-old you. You, this version of you, obviously would be the leader. You would initiate that conversation. What would you say? Three words. Don't give up. Like, whatever I want to do, don't give up. I don't care if it's if it's sports, entertainment, if it's uh, education, don't give up. Like, just if you stay locked in on whatever said thing is, you'll be okay. You'll be good. You'll be great. The same way... 37 me talking to 17 the same way you you don't give up when it comes to Madden or 2K. Take that same energy into whatever it is you want for your life, like long term. And and the results will happen. I mean, because the consistency is going to help you with every other obstacle. So are we about to break a stigma here? Because you know what they say. They say... Video games make you shoot up schools. They say video games make you lazy. They say video games make you stupid. But am I talking to a... Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, for I me, feel you side. Go ahead. So for me, video games help me. And, and I'll, I'll give an example. So like I said, I'm an NBA guy. I really didn't know a lot about football. I mean, I knew Dion, I knew like Barry Sanders, and I knew who was famous and what they, you know, were doing, but I didn't know the technicalities of the game and how to how it really worked. So I remember me and my friends, we were playing um or they were playing Madden and I, I went to grab the controller and they was like, Man, what you doing? You don't know nothing about that. Like <laughs> And I didn't, like I got dubbed, but that Dub means feeling. he lost by 20. Right. Which yeah, means thank you, you have yeah. to, well, you yeah. got to get off the sticks. If, if the <laughs> other team is up three touchdowns, you got to get off the sticks. You can't play. So I was dubbed in like, I don't know, like four minutes. It was something crazy fast. But I remember like, man, like he was kind of right, but I don't like that. So I went back home. I bought Madden and I just played and played and played. And I played online. So I had a variety of different people that I was playing against, you know, different styles. And long story short, it gave me the fortitude. Like if I would lose, I would play again to make sure. I, so I had a winning percentage because you know that that mattered online. If you ever played online, people don't want to play if your percentage is like one in ninety nine. But what that did was it helped me build up the just the confidence in myself that I could do something that I had never, I didn't know anything about it. So now I, I could play the game and I could win at a. You know, we say a high level. We talking about Madden, but I could. I was, I was really good now, so that helped my confidence. Even when it came to the books, like uh, subjects that were tough for me, like physics. Physics was tough for me in college. I had to get a tutor. I didn't care because I wanted to keep my 
my grade point, I was once I started getting those 3.8, 4.0, I wanted to keep that. So if I had to ask for help, the same way I had to ask for help to figure out how to win in Madden, I was asking for help now to figure out how to continue to win in, in school and college. Same thing with our careers. Like I was now I asked for help, but I learned that from not knowing how to play John Madden. Mm. So your video game experience helped you learn habits to be successful, essentially. That yes, you and I used. was obsessed. <laughs> obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I've never talked about this on the podcast, but you're the perfect guest to bring it out of me. You're the ideal guest to bring right. it out of me. <laughs> when I was in college, <clears throat> I was a college football player. I walked on to a Division One football team. You said Eastern Michigan. I played football at Northern Illinois University. So we were in the same conference. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't a big video game dude, um, just here and there, right? Like like in high school, I would play Madden. I would play, uh, uh, they had a college football game. I would play it. That was pretty much it. So when I get to college, keep in mind, I'm broke. I'm poor. I have no money. There was a community of guys, like they were traveling to tournaments across the Midwest playing for money. They were playing online for money. They would go to somebody's house and it would be six, seven guys playing money. Yeah. So I'm a football player and I play video games a little bit. So I'm just sitting here like, hmm, I'm poor. I know way more football than these dudes. And I know a little bit of video games. So I did the exact same thing you did. I went and just picked the game up. I started playing the computer. I put the, and Madden, they have different skill levels for if you play the computer AI. Yep. So I put it on all Madden. I put it on, on the hardest. And I would destroy it. And so my buddies are like, bro, if you can beat all Madden, you can beat you regular could. people. So I was like, all right, cool. So this is right around the time when, you know, Ray Lewis was one of the most popular guys. Peyton Manning, when Peyton Manning had like Marvin Harrison, Brandon Stokely, Reggie Wayne, like that team was loaded. The Bears had like Brian Urlacher. They had a, a load of defense. Michael Vick was running crazy. So I, I this was my approach. I was like, okay. Personally, if and when I become a football coach, I want the most accurate and the smartest quarterback. That's what I want for my team. I personally don't want my quarterback running around, doing all this fancy stuff. Give me a three-step, five-step drop and throw the ball. I want the ball to get in my playmaker's hands. And I want a ratio of about 40 to 60 pass run. Because I don't want you to – I don't want the defense to completely sell out on the pass. I want you to play it honestly, right? So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to just play with Peyton Manning. Okay. Nobody was playing with Peyton Manning at the time, but he fit my ideal of like, if I had a team, like, bro. So I started playing on campus and I became, I became, you know, they call you the GOAT, you know, the greatest of all time. I was like a legend on this campus. Like people will come over my house. They bring, they would bring their PlayStation. They bring their Xbox and just put their money down. Like people would come looking for me. Oh, I heard you was good. I heard you was the man over here. Like dudes, I didn't even know what come with other dudes. Like, oh, you the man over here. And so I was like, all right, let's play. And the worst thing you could do is beat somebody one time, take their money, and then say, nah, I'm good. That's the one. (laughs) You ain't going to play? You're not going to play again? You're not gonna play. Nah, I'm good, man. I got, I got another competitor. I got another competitor right here. No, nah, no, nah, you're gonna play me again. 
So then the hustler in me, I'm like, okay, well, we got a double or nothing then. Like yep. we only paid for 50. We only played for 50. I'm poor. So I'm like, we gotta, we gotta play for like 200. We gotta play for 150. All right, all right. They put their money down, they put their refund check money down. <laughs> I take that from them. Now they want to fight. Like, come yeah, on, that's, man. Yeah, that's how it goes. That's <laughs> come how on, it man. goes. I want fair and square. So yeah, so you brought me back. You brought me back to a time. Um <clears throat> So with school, school has obviously changed because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate enough to, to, to grow up in the classroom the entire time. Now it's changed. Sometimes, some people haven't went back to the classroom. Some instructions are online. Some students, I was reading a report that, was, that, that said that students are not as, as engaged as they were, right? And so I think about like a third grader through a fifth grader who had those two years in the pandemic. It's like, they're out of that habit, right? So I'm just curious as an educator and then obviously as a high-level student that you were is like, how do we engage in school? How do we get the most out of it? How do we, what mindset do we have to approach it for those people who are in school or maybe they are feeling overwhelmed with finals coming up and things of that nature? Just talk to me a little bit about the the scholastic side of things and the approach that we should have to be successful yeah. with. So I will say, because I am an adjunct professor. So as a professor, it is key to reach out to your your uh, teachers like we want to be there we want to help even if it's an online uh class where you maybe maybe you don't meet you don't even meet virtually reach out to us with emails let us know who you are because what happens when you circle back and ask for a letter of recommendation for a job or grad school or whatever we don't know you from the other 30 40 people or we only know that you missed certain assignments, so you only turned them in late. So if you really want to to have that relationship, even if you are online, you can still make it a really rich experience. Let us know who you are in the beginning of the semester. Hey, I'm John Smith. Hey, I'm Brandy Jackson. I'm a transfer student, or I'm a non-traditional student. This is who I am. This is what I'm looking for. Good to meet you. Set up a meeting with us because we don't get that a lot. So more teachers will be apt to say, you know what? I can carve out some time because now we're this is what we do. The same way we talked about as therapists and coaches, we love when we have those perfect clients. We absolutely love when we have those perfect students too. <clears throat> those students that reach out and say, hey, I'm thinking about this for my assignment. What do you think? Or, hey... I, I like to do this type of project. What's your opinion on it? It's like, great. This is what we signed up for. We signed up to be educators. We want to help you. So don't just, what I see, <clears throat> excuse me, what I see people doing that's, that's not working is they just sit back. Mm. They sit back. They wait until the end of the semester and they say, can we, is there any extra credit? Can I turn this in? Can I turn this in? This assignment from two, three months ago. Oh, I didn't know this was due. We're at, we're in college, whether it's undergrad or graduate. You're expected to to follow the syllabus, to to figure out when assignments are due, to kind of follow Canvas or whatever Blackboard, whatever you're using. We're not going to hold your hand. However, we will be genuine if you reach out to us. And be honest. Don't. This is nothing that we see. Some some professors let it go. But when you when you're plagiarizing and you turn in assignments that don't make any sense, like 
please stop turning assignments that don't make sense to the, the assignment that's due. I can appreciate your invitation as someone who, as an athlete, I had study tables, had to get a tutor. There was many classes that I was like, man, what the hell am I, what is this? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember specifically, I took a history class. And this dude, it was it was actually a history of religion. And so it literally talked about every religion. And this dude, I mean, this dude was a genius. He was so smart, I couldn't learn from him. Like, I, he, he didn't break things down. You know, great teachers break things down for you. Yes. He was so smart. He was just, he was above me. So I remember going to him and just telling him, I think his name was Professor Bowers. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not retaining anything. I've been in every, it was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm-hmm. I've been in every class. I'm not learning anything. So he just, he's like, yeah, come on by my office then. Come to my office hours. So we go to the office hours and in the office hours, he took the time to break different things down to me. And he was like, look, if you want to remember this date, remember this name with this date. And then you can attach other names to that name. And I'm like, that's how y'all remember. Th-? Like he showed me a way to learn to that work for my brain that I would have never thought of. So I love that invitation um, because it also feels, I feel like that invitation also, what you're telling the student, us as students is, if you engage, you will get more out of it. Absolutely. If you would like to support the Free Your Energy podcast, go to sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast. For $8.88 a month, you'll be able to help me keep this podcast running at a consistent rate. The money goes towards the web service, my engineer, and anything else I need to book guests and to bring you the best value possible. To support the podcast, go to sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast. Now let's get back to the show. When I first started college, I was sitting in the back. I was sitting in the back of all my classes because, you know, now the classes are huge. Some of the auditoriums, there's like a hundred of us. So I'm like, oh, I can just chill back here. Uh, I could just sit, send off a text here and there. If I want to leave early, I could dip out at halftime. <laughs> That's what we would call it. But I was not getting anything from that. I thought I was doing something. But in reality, life changed, college changed when I started sitting in the front. Now, if I had any anxiety about raising my hand for a question that I knew the answer to, or I didn't know the answer, if I had a question I needed to, you know, I'm not looking at a hundred people in front of me who are going to say, oh, what's he doing? All it's seeming like in my mind, it's just me and the professor. Mm -hmm. And that was like, oh, this is good because now even if there's a hundred students, they, they get to know me, they get to know my name. And I remember you 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 had a story. I have a story where I had this professor, and it was a small class. This was like human development or something of that nature, whatever. He 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 was pretty boring. But I, I said, you know what? Let me sit right in the front. And I said, I would not fall asleep if I sit right in the front. And I still fell asleep. So after a while, he said, he, you know, he, we talked up the class. He said, what's going on? So I shared with him that I was working full time and going to school full time and we had now we had a relationship. So we ended up, you know, having a great relationship throughout the rest of my time at, at Eastern. He ended up writing me all types of letters. And of course, I was able to now stay awake more in this class because I knew him a little bit more. So like sitting in front actually maximized my my experience. 
What was your favorite class that you took ever? Oh, man, that is a hard question. I'm thinking, ooh, the one that stands out for me. So let me do it. Let me break it down, undergrad and then grad. So undergrad, I think, you know, it wasn't, yeah, undergrad was psychology of sex. And the reason, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Abnormal psychology, abnormal psychology, abnormal psychology, because it was just fascinating learning about all the different mental health diagnoses, the personality disorders, because at that time I thought I was going to work with all these different personalities. And then you find out that they don't actually really seek care like that. So, but it was just really good. The teacher was great. It was Dr. O'Neill. She was amazing. Uh, amazing and I that really like just had me so so hyped to learn about psychology and then grad school it was professor Sally Foley she was great and I think it was probably and I had some good classes no you know what I'm lying so it was uh it was a class it was a CBT class where we had to like create our own person and this was this really helped me because what they did, two professors had two separate classes, and like one of the classes were the like the the therapists, and then the other class was like they were the the patients, the client. So we had to develop the client, and then we would go to the other class, and they would treat us. So I had to think about the makeup, like where did this guy sleep, what where did he work, where did he live, and when I did that, now if you were the therapist and you told me, hey, I need you to go exercise at the gym for you know two weeks and that'll help you but wait I don't have a gym membership I can't afford that so it made me think about when you're recommending things to people you work with you need to think do they have the resources are they in the mind frame like don't just say stuff because it sounds good think this stuff through so that was I don't remember the name of that class but that was that that class was amazing in your experience as a therapist, is there any one story or person that sticks out as a success story? Like they overcame a lot and you're just so proud of them. Is there, is there any one person that, now obviously you don't have to say the name, but if you can kind sure. of illuminate the story and kind of what they went through and kind of some of the tools that they used to get through, that would be helpful. Yeah. So it was when I was uh, learning how to provide PTSD evidence-based treatment using prolonged exposure therapy. So during this, it was tough because I was a newer clinician, but also had to be certified. I had to record the session so that my supervisor could listen to it and give me feedback. So the client, this was when I was working with veterans. This was maybe, uh, let's say Joe, we call him Joe. Joe was around 60 years old. Joe had been in Vietnam and during Vietnam, he had one of his battle buddies, so like another U.S. soldier was was high, and they pulled their weapon out on Joe. So I think they were like, they were back at the what do they call it? The fob. They were they were in you know in the the tent or whatnot, and they may have been looking at pictures back home, and and they got into it about you know he said something about his wife. But the point is, he pulled out this AK, I think it was an AK-47 on, on Joe, on my client. So now he, he was having nightmares from it. Um, it. It Really, he avoided things for years. So he didn't talk about this for 
like 30 or 40 years. So he's in my session. We go through the, 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 the treatment. So we get him to talk about it, talk about the emotions behind this incident, and actually start doing things that involve crowds, loud sounds, and noises. And I remember it was the summertime because one, one of his activities, he was going to go to the Kentucky Derby. So once he went to the Derby, he's like, there was thousands of people. He was so excited because he got through that Derby. He had a blast. So after that, anything that I recommended him to do, whether it was a crowd of people, whether it was going to a restaurant and sitting in a place where it was crowded, he knocked out everything because he had overcome all of those fears and avoided behavior. Like that was, it was just fun to see him thrive. And, and he was 60 something years old. And he just had his life back. That's wow. the, that one stands out for me. That's powerful. Wow. It reminds me of a post you had. Uh, I think you titled it three things, three ways to know that you've overcome your trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Can you speak to that? What are, what are some of the things to look for that lets you know, like, hey, you're you're over this trauma. You've worked through it. You've healed. Yeah. Well, one, being able to talk about it. Just being able to actually speak it aloud, because sometimes there's things that we, the the thing about trauma is we don't talk about the things that are most traumatic to us. We don't. We don't talk about it to our partners, our friends, sometimes even our therapists. We just keep it. Like, we just like, we don't want to visit there. We don't even want to go there in our mind. So if somebody can actually talk about what they've been through and be emotionally and fully present, that's a sign that you've healed from that trauma. Another sign is that if you are triggered, so meaning like I was talking about Joe, if Joe sees AK-47s on TV or he's watching something and people get into a scuffle about, hey, you're talking about my wife, and this reminds him of what he's been through, but he can still remain present and he doesn't have to necessarily like continue to like dive himself, throw himself into it, but now he's like, okay, yeah, that that's that does not have anything to do with me. So he can separate himself from the trauma and still process those triggers. And then I would think the last thing would be any being able to accept, accept love and all the feelings around love. Because one thing about going through trauma is that again, we don't we 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 don't want to talk about the trauma, but we also don't like to let people in and we don't always experience those positive emotions. So it's easier for us to shut people off and not let people close to us because we don't want them to hurt us or we're, we don't want to be vulnerable. So when you can do those three things, those are some of the biggest signs that you are definitely on your healing journey. I love it. I love it. I do want to share a, a quick story with you. Yeah. Uh, because it just relates to what, what what we're talking about. And so one of the the trauma experiences that I had was child abuse. Growing up in a home, uh, it was beyond spankings. It was grabbing it was my it was my father specifically grabbing different instruments to use while beating me, right? Mm-hmm. And so one that I remember the the most was his belt. He would actually tell me to go get the belt, go get my belt. So I could whoop your ass or beat your ass. And I apologize for anyone listening. If this is triggering you in any way and you feel like maybe you don't want to listen to this part, uh, feel free to turn the podcast off now. But I'm going to try to be uh, as safe as I can with this. I went this past weekend to go see a movie. 
uh, on Saturday, I went and took myself to a movie, nice little solo date uh, movie with uh, Ethan Hawke called Blackface. I think it was called okay. Blackface. And I didn't really know anything about it. I was actually just on Twitter and people were like, yo, this horror movie, Blackface is cool. Check it out. So then that was it for me. I was like, cool, I'm going to go because I don't want to see the reviews. I don't want to know right. what people think. I got to go and watch it. So I went and there was this scene. It was very, very graphic. There was a scene and it literally took me back to my childhood. This was the very first time as an adult that I was back in that place from some type of imagery. And what the image was, was an overly emotional alcoholic father in this situation. He was abusing the sister. He was abusing the girl. And then the boy was there. It was a brother and sister. And so they were basically going through this abuse together, trying to get dad to stop. And dad was doing some, saying some very manipulative things. And then obviously his reasoning and logic for the abuse didn't make, it wasn't sound because right. he was under the spell of the alcohol at the time. So for me as an adult, this was actually the first time that I, like imagery that I saw this, whether it be like a song, a movie or anything, or like, I don't have friends who behave that way. I don't, there's no one's houses that I go to that I see that behaves that way. So I, I've been so far removed from that type of imagery. And so I, I'm watching it and I'm just looking at it. And I remember looking at the screen and I said, damn, I feel bad for them. You know, like my empathy activated. It wasn't like pain or sorrow activated inside of me. It was like empathy. I was like, damn, I feel so bad for them. And then I realized like, dude, you're watching a movie right now. And then I was like, wow, this is an amazing movie to like, because that's what art can do. It's like, it can mm -hmm. take you to a place. It can take you to an emotion. And so I text Daisy when I, when I was in there. I'm like, Daisy, like, this movie is crazy. I have never seen this type of image portrayed, but I'm glad that it was portrayed. I'm glad that it was portrayed because I'm hoping that someone sees that movie and they see themselves in him, in that mm -hmm. character. And the pain that those young actors display, I hope that they can see like, wow, this is how my parents, or this is how my children are around me. Like they fear me. They're walking in that space. And, and granted, I don't want anyone to, to feel what I felt as a kid, but I hope that the parent who is the alcoholic who turns to abuse can see that film or maybe just hear this podcast and just have like a, a check with themselves. Like, man, maybe maybe there's another way here. Maybe yeah. sobriety is for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe anger management is for me. Maybe talking with my kids and giving them a space to share is for me. Maybe there's another alternative than that behavior. So I pre I appreciate you uh, yeah. naming naming the things that let you know that you're healed because it it aligned with me and my journey is especially seeing something that is tr potentially triggering you know right. of a of a traumatic episode. No, no, bro. I appreciate you sharing that because I, it reminds me of so many times we see something on TV and you you know maybe it's like a child. Something may come on, and somebody in the house, like, hey, hey, turn that off, turn it. Off. I don't want to see that. It's like it's, it triggers them. So they like get turn it off. They just want to avoid it, whatever it brings up. So yeah, it's like we don't have to necessarily torture ourselves, but that's the sign when you can watch it and know, hey, this is not this is not where I'm at anymore. And again, like have empathy for them. So this year for you has been what? How would you describe it in one word? 
it's moving fast, but in one word, it, it's been amazing. It's been refreshing. It's been refreshing. I've been able to work with less clients, spend more time with family, uh, spend more time with myself, because I realized as you look through the numbers of things that you've done and you know the client, you're like, oh my God, I was how I was doing all that. Like that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so this year has been more just more. Hey, take some time out, do things that you want to do. Like I was looking forward to this podcast after after this. I'm going out with some some of the fellas in my coaching group. We're actually going to do like a fellas thing, which is the first time. So just doing things that feed me. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that. And uh, I'll make sure in the show notes we have all your your website and your socials where everybody can find you, um, potentially hire you. Um, is that just through your website, through the website form? The website is the easiest. Cool. Okay. So my, my last question before I let you get to your, your day, <clears throat> you have to come up with a team, okay? It's a, it's a 3v3 team, all right? A basketball okay. team, okay? Now, I'm going to come up with a team. And okay. you have to come up with a team that would beat my team, okay? Uh, they're going to 11 by ones and twos, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to have Kobe Bryant on my team. Oh, okay. We're going to have the Mamba on my team. Me and Kobe have the same birthday. He was my favorite player growing up. Um, it would be unfair of me to take LeBron and Kobe. So I'm not going to touch LeBron. I'm going to leave LeBron in the pool for you in case you wanted to. But I am going to take Shaq. Ah, I'm I'm definitely going to go Kobe, Shaq. And of course, you know, everybody wants to pick the top, top. And someone's thinking he's going to take Jordan next if he's not going to take LeBron. No, I'm going to leave Jordan in there too. Okay. I'm going to take Allen Iverson. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I got I got Iverson, Kobe, and Shaq all prime versus. Oh my god! You got to put a team together to beat your favorite player and Kobe and Shaq. What team man, you're putting you putting together? You messed me up with that. Okay, so I'm going, <laughs> man. That you really? I I was going Iverson, and so I I would go if you got Iverson, Shaq, and Kobe. Oh man, I'm going. I'm going Jordan. I gotta go Jordan. Oh man, yeah, I'll go Jordan. Oh man, I'm going Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Do I go? I'm going Jordan, LeBron, and Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. Yeah, yeah. Tim, Tim Duncan. Wow. Okay. Tim Duncan is underrated. He does not get brought up enough for what he did yeah. for the game. Because his personality is just yeah, really quiet lovely. assassin. But he did the work. All right. Well, brother, thank you for joining the Free Your Energy podcast. I appreciate yeah. the space you provided for us, the information and your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciated this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Free Your Energy podcast. Reviews are everything. Please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope this helped you. I hope it served you. And I hope you continue to free your energy.